Amen. Well, hello, everyone. This has been a, bi- a big week of milestones. Um, first off, I've been here at Springbrook for over a month now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Jess and I love it here. Um, we love that we're a part of this family now. And so we felt very welcome. So thank you. I also turned 30 this week. So... I'm an old man, um, so I was, thank you, thank you, um, but, but it's very exciting, um, I'm 30. Um, another big milestone, and I have to, I'm going to mess up how I phrase this, I think, but this is the first time that I've preached a second time for the first time to a congregation. Um, this is my first Sunday ever preaching to a congregation that I've been a part of, and so I'm really excited to be here. It's an honor and a privilege. So thank you. So so this morning, uh, we are going to be talking about, or we're on our discovering our spiritual pathway. And as we're talking about that, we're in Nehemiah. And this morning, we are talking about the significance of the insignificant in the book of Nehemiah, or in the chapter Nehemiah 3. And to start, I want to tell you a little story from my past. Um, When I was 20, um, I was in film school. And the school that I was at, it was called Full Sail. It's a school in Orlando. And you go for roughly two years and you do two classes a month. And and they train you in everything from pre-production, writing a script, planning a shoot, to running a camera, lighting, everything on set, set design, makeup, to all of the post-production. And, and you do this over the course of two years, and then when you get to the end, when you're in your final couple months, you do your big senior project, which is a 35-millimeter film. And, and, of course, we have classes of about 30 to 40 where we're all working on the same film together, and there's only so many roles, and so... Throughout the course of our two years, we build a portfolio and we, we have a resume and we apply and, and you, you know, everyone wants to be a director, a camera person, the producer. Everyone wants to have one of those roles. Um, you know, the roles you hear Academy Awards for. Um, I was the director of photography, so I was in charge of the lighting and making sure our camera guys were ready to go. It was a really fun job. Um, but there's, there's one job, and there was only one job that no one really wanted. Um, it was the job that would have been seen as the most insignificant job, um, and that's craft services. I don't know if any of you have heard of this. There's no Academy Award for craft services. Um, craft services is the person, they're the caterer. It's the person who makes sure everyone has food, water. They make sure there's some hot meals. Um, and, and this role is the one that, that for the students... As, as you applied, you just prayed you didn't get that role. Um, you, you know, like, I let me be a grip. Let me be a gaffer. I'll even be the best boy. But, but I don't want to be the craft services person. It's just for, for the culmination of film school, I fed people. You know, like, that's... But, but I want to tell you something, that um, this role is actually one of the most important roles. One, one of the cool things that Full Sail was, um, if you show up on a set for other students they have to put you to work. And so I worked on a number of sets, and I saw a number of projects. And I will tell you, there was a huge difference between a competent craft service person and an incompetent craft service person. Um, because when you're on a film set, so there's, there's bright lights, you're in a sound stage, you're working for 12 to 16 hours a day, depending on the day, you're on a very tight schedule, 
you have actors that are coming in, you have all these things happening, and it's a very physically demanding, it's very mentally exhausting, and, and by the time you get to the end of it, like, you, if, if things don't go well, if, if you're, you know, it can be a very long process. Um, and, and so that craft service person on most of the sets I worked on, if they did even a somewhat competent job, no one noticed, but when they did a bad job, um, something happened to everyone on the set. Um, there's a there's a term for this. It's hangry, which is hungry plus angry. Um, it's a it's a term. It's it's a actual actually a condition that a lot of people, my wife included, suffer from. And it's where you're so hungry that you're angry and just mad at everyone. And and so on the sets where where the people weren't doing a very good job of feeding, if the craft service person did a bad job. You could see it in everybody's face. You know, they were they were hungry and they were tired. But when they had food, when they knew the next meal was going to come on time, it just helped a lot. And so that that seemingly insignificant role of craft services that no one wanted was really a significant role. And and all of those Academy Award winning movies, they have someone doing that. And it's a really important role, even if they don't get to give a speech or anything. And And so very significant role, even though we see it as insignificant. And so today as we're talking, I want to tell you that your role here at Springbrook, I I want you to be thinking, what is my role at Springbrook? And I want to tell you that whatever it is, your role is significant. And and we're also, we're going to look at what is our role as a church. And, And I think our role as a church is significant here and around the world as well. So, um, we're in Nehemiah 3. And on the, you have your little bulletins on the back. I, there's a map on all of these. And I want to start, I want to show you. So, so when Dan's been preaching, we, we've had two messages. If you were here May 1st, um, Dan spoke about, um, Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 1, uh, it begins, Nehemiah hears about the condition of the walls of Jerusalem, which this map shows us. I'll talk a little bit more about it later, but, um, we, we hear about the terrible condition of the walls of Jerusalem. And when, when Nehemiah hears this, his first response is he prays. And, and he prays to the Lord. And his prayer, it's a prayer of, even though it's Nehemiah praying, and, and for his whole life, he probably was never in Jerusalem in the first place, but his prayer is, Lord, we, we have done this. Your people, he, he prays collectively for all the people that, that the Lord would restore Jerusalem as the Lord promised. If the people will turn back, he'll restore. If you didn't hear that message, you should check it out because it also, Dan does an amazing job outlining how we should pray. But, but so Nehemiah 1, we see Nehemiah, when he hears this news, he prays and prays that the Lord would restore. And then in Nehemiah 2, we heard about this two weeks ago. Uh, we hear about Nehemiah being bold and courageous and he asked the king, he was the cupbearer and he, when the king asked him what's wrong, he, he boldly said what was wrong, Jerusalem, the walls are destroyed. And, and after he said that, the, and he gave that bold ask, the king sent him back to Jerusalem with a military escort, with all the lumber they needed because of his bold ask. And, and we also saw in that chapter as, as Dan was preaching, Nehemiah surveyed the grounds. He went around the wall. And, and what he saw as he went around the wall, he was on a horse at first. The wall was so destroyed and was in such rubble that he had to get off the horse and walk. That's the, the city of God, the Jerusalem, the city that was once the greatest city in the world. The walls were in shambles. And, and he saw that. And, and when he saw that, he went to the people, he gathered the people, and he gave them this vision. 
we need to rebuild these walls. And, and the people responded. We, we saw that as well. The people, when they heard Nehemiah's vision, they said, let us rise up and build. And, and we also heard the, the last thing we heard was about the, the opposition that was beginning to surface in Nehemiah 2. Um, Sanballat was a ruler in the area, and there were other rulers that when they heard what the Jews were trying to do, um, they became hostile towards them. And we'll hear more of that. And so Nehemiah 3, where we're talking about today, Nehemiah 2 ends in hostility. Nehemiah 4 begins with more hostility from those people. And so Nehemiah 3 is, we get to hear how the people respond to the message of Nehemiah from chapters 1 and 2. And before we get into the text, I do have a confession for you. Um, Nehemiah 3 is a list. Um, it's, a, it's something that uh, before my time at Moody, before I got to learn a lot more about exegesis, I would have looked at a passage like Nehemiah 3, and I would have started reading and read the word repaired five times, and I would have flipped to Nehemiah 4. Um, it's the same thing with gene- genealogies, you know, he beget, 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 you know, and you just, you kind of just zone through it. But I, I want to tell you as I studied this, and I'm so excited to share this with you, because God, for some reason, decided as he's revealing himself to us through his special re- revelation the Bible, he thought this was supposed to be in here. And as I studied this week, I got more and more excited because this isn't just a list. There's a lot going on in this passage that we can unpack together. And so as we jump into Nehemiah 3, that's, I'm very excited. So, so we have this map of the walls of Jerusalem. I'll go back to it a little bit more later, but there we go. Um, so we'll start right away, Nehemiah 3.1. I'm going to be jumping around a lot, but we'll start at the beginning. Um, Nehemiah 3.1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. So in chapter 2, Nehemiah says, he gives the vision and the people respond, let us rise up and build. And the very first thing we see in Nehemiah 3 is we see Eliashib, the high priest, and his brothers rose up and built. Um, this is something, it's amazing what's happening, and it's, it's something we don't think culturally, but, but there wouldn't have been an expectation in that time of the priest building. They would have been doing their duty in the temple. But, but when this vision is brought about, the religious leaders, the, the high priest, he and his fellow priests, they rise up and they begin the building. They model it for everybody. Every builder is needed. They're, they're not just going to be praying. They're doing. They're, they're with all the people and they're doing. And, and it's the next verse, it's exciting as well because we see, and next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zechur, the son of Imri, built. Now, the men of Jericho, there's no one of note named there. And, and Zechur, the son of Imri, it's not really that notable. But, but their names are included there. So we go from the high priest who's kind of the one of the biggest names in Jerusalem in that time, to the men of Jericho and then this Zachar guy. And, and what's, what's happening here and what's so exciting is that what you'd expect is you would expect when you read a list like this, you'd expect it would go from Eliashib to the next person of note. It would be the, the ruler and then, then the leader, the noble. The, it would go person by person and it would go through all of the really big deal people. But that's not how Nehemiah has laid out this verse, or this chapter. And the way he's laid it out, there's some logic in it. So on your maps, right, right below the legend is the sheep gate. And that's where the priest started. And it's just going to go counterclockwise around. 
And this is something you might be saying, okay, so they're doing it in a logical way. They're just listing them in order. But, but it's shocking that they would list them in order because we have to go to Nehemiah 3.9. I skipped it. Here we go. Nehemiah 3.9, uh, next to them, Rephiah, the son of Ur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. If, if this chapter was as expected in that day, it would have started with Nehemiah 3.1, Eliashib, the high priest, and then it would have gone to Nehemiah 3.9. We would have skipped seven verses in there. And in those seven verses, Nehemiah is listing all of the people who were helping build. And that's because as, this, as Nehemiah is writing this, every builder is needed. Each role is significant. Right there. So, um, so I have this picture. Um, this is Michael Jordan. I'm sure some of you are familiar with him. Um, and I, I want to draw attention to his rings there. He's got sickest of them on. And uh, a couple years ago, while I was at Moody, um, there was a, a guy that I talked to. who He was one of the t-shirt cannon operators for the Bulls home games. And he told me as we were talking about the people in the office that they all wear the championship rings. And I was like thinking, and as, what player works for the Chicago Bulls organization in the office? I was really confused. And, and as we were talking, he was telling me about how if you were a part of the team, if you were on the team payroll when the Bulls won, you got those rings. And so somewhere there's an accountant who has six rings, who was just the guy in charge of making sure the players got paid. And when I first heard this, I was shocked, and I was like, there's no way. And then I started to think about it. And the first thing I thought about was Dennis Rodman. Could you imagine if the Bulls had to count on Dennis Rodman to get himself to each playoff game, to do the traveling, to do the driving? Like, they would have been in trouble. Or, or can you imagine if Michael Jordan had to call up, and hello, this is Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan Steakhouse. I'm, uh, I'm trying to set a reservation. We've got a playoff game there. Can, can you imagine if the players had to do that? Or can you imagine if the players didn't get their paychecks? I bet they'd be a little less motivated if they were waiting every month, you know, oh, the paycheck will come later. Those, that infrastructure behind the players and befi- behind the coaches, the trainers, all of those roles that we don't think about because we don't see on TV, those are as significant because the players need that structure in order to thrive. And so each builder is important. Every role is significant. And there, there's something else. We're going to go back to Nehemiah 3.1. Um, we, we see again Eliashib, the high priest, and his brothers. Where they started building was at the Sheep Gate. And, and these, throughout the passage, we're going to see this, but the Sheep Gate um, would have been the gate closest, or almost closest to the temple, but it would have been the gate where whenever animals were being brought in to be sacrificed, they would have gone in through the Sheep Gate. And so when they build the Sheep Gate, they consecrated it. And, and also that, that process, that's where the priests would have started because that's where they should have been. And, and so the, the priests are building in a place that's logical for the priests to build. And if we go to Nehemiah 3.10, next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramath, repaired opposite his house. Um, there's a bunch of verses that mention opposite his house later on in verses 21 to 30. But the people were building in very logical places. They, um, a lot of the gates, there's a lot of little context clues where when you read the person who was building, they were building 
near, if they were coming from outside of Jerusalem in to help with the rebuilding, they were rebuilding along the wall where they would have come in. Or the people that were in, they're building where they are. And, and that's an important thing. Uh, the building starts wherever we are. That's, as we look at this, every builder is needed. Each role is significant. The building starts wherever we are. Um, what I thought about this last week as I was reflecting on the people starting where they were, um, I, I thought a lot about last week. We heard that amazing message from the Converge guy, Ivan, and he told us all about what Converge is doing around the world. And it was this amazing message because we at Springbrook, we're helping fund that. We're a part of what's happening there. And, and as he shared about these churches that are growing rapidly and the number of conversions around the world, I, I was thinking, man, I wish I could just pack a suitcase and go. And I wish I could go share the gospel around the world. And, and as I was reflecting on that in light of this passage this week, one of the things I was thinking about was, do I walk out the door and do that? Because, because we can build around the world, but we need to be building wherever we are. It starts where we are. And in fact, in later on in chapter 3, we'll see um, in 321, after him, Merimot, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section. And he went and did that, and there's some other people that we see that repaired more than what they started with. But, but the important thing is when they repaired, they started at their spot before they moved on. They, each of the people, they built where they were supposed to build first, and then if they had capacity to build more, they moved on. It, the building starts wherever we are. Excuse me. Um, so there's one more point in this passage. There's, there's a lot going on here, but there's one more thing, and this is the most exciting thing I wanted to talk about. And we see it first in Nehemiah 3.5. In Nehemiah 3.5 we see, And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So we're going to talk about the Tekoites in a minute, but we need to start with their nobles. Um, the, no, the Tekoite nobles, uh, they're from a city of Tekoa that was like 12 miles from Jerusalem. Um, they are the only people mentioned in a negative way in this passage. So right off the bat, don't be a Tekoite noble. And, and why they're mentioned negatively, the, the, they would not stoop to serve their Lord. The, the more literal translation is they would not bend their necks. They would not bow to the Lord. And this, this language is very strong. And, and the scholars have a number of ideas on why they would not do this. Some, some scholars suggest that they looked at what was happening in Jerusalem and they worried that if their people went to Jerusalem, their city would be the city attacked because it would be empty. Other scholars think that maybe these nobles looked at Nehemiah and saw him as a threat. If, if he gains power in Jerusalem, it'll lower their influence or their prestige. And, and other scholars suggest that Perhaps they were worried economically because if Jerusalem becomes the center again in the area, it would, for them, it would lead to them having less of an economic foothold. We, we don't know why, but what we do know is that they did not stoop. They would not serve the Lord, and that's not good. They heard the vision of Nehemiah and they rejected it. But, but what's exciting in this passage, because we can dwell on the nobles, but, but what's exciting is the Tekoite people. Because when the Tekoite people heard this message and when they heard what the Lord was doing and what Nehemiah was doing, they, despite the fact that their nobles, were, their rulers could take away their land, they could punish them, they could, you know, there were economic consequences, there were family consequences, the Tekoites saw this and they rose up and they built. 
the Tekoite people, despite what that could mean for them, when they went back home to Tekoa, they left and they built because they saw that it was the work of the Lord and they got on board. Uh-oh. I think this died. No, I didn't. Sorry. Um, so the, the thing that's exciting here is these Tekoite people that are willing to leave their lands, leave their city, it's, it's not just a wall being built when they leave. It's a culture. And we're going to see that more. It's not just a wall being built. It's a culture. Uh, in chapter or in verse 8, we see next to them, Uziel, the son of Haraiha, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Haniah, one of the performer, perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So this is the, the sentence here. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Um, this sentence, when you first read through it, you may not notice it, but but it's... It's like a giant exclamation mark towards these people. And, and the reason, so they're all, they're all restoring the wall of Jerusalem. But when Nehemiah was writing, he, he, when he remembered Uziel and when he remembered Hananiah, he was so excited about the work that they were doing that he gave that extra little sentence of, and they restored Jerusalem. And, and the reason that that's so exciting is these, these men, and the reason Nehemiah put this in here is because goldsmiths and perfumers are not the people you would think would repair the wall. It's, it's not their task. It's, it's not something that you would ever expect them to do, but they, they saw that the work of the Lord needed to be done, and they jumped in, and they, they went even against what they were trained to do, what they were able to do traditionally, and they said, we are going to help. And so... Here's another one. In, next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters. So this, is, this was my favorite thing as I studied this passage. Um, when you read he and his daughters there, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a weird sentence because earlier we never see other people say he and his men. Um, and as I was studying and looking through commentaries, one of the first things some of the commentaries said was, this is probably a typo or it's a, somebody wrote something wrong. Um, it's not daughters, it's got to be he and his men. And, and the reason that they say this, and, and a lot of the scholars suggest this, they don't think it, they just suggest it, is because in that day, in that time, the idea that the half-ruler of Jerusalem would allow his daughters to work with him, the idea that they'd be willing to work was shocking. And so these scholars are like, well, there's got to be another explanation. But But the people that have gone back and examine the manuscripts. The oldest manuscripts of Nehemiah we have are all consistent. It's his daughters that were building beside him. And, and this is shocking. I, Dan's talked about the shame culture in that society. It would have been shameful in that day and age for Shalom to ask his daughters to work with him. It would have been shameful for them to come work with him. But what's happening here as they rebuild this wall is that the people are going against culture. You've, you've got the, the Tekoites that look at their rulers, their nobles, and they say, if they're not going to do the work of the Lord, despite the punishment, we're going to do it. You've got the people that aren't skilled in building. They're, they're people that have trade skills that it doesn't matter if the walls are restored. Goldsmiths and perfumers are going to make money either way. But they're looking at this business or this wall being built and they're saying, we want to be part of this. And, and you've got, a, a ruler that's letting his daughters work beside him. You've got daughters willing to come work. There's something happening here, and it's not just a wall being built. It's a culture. We're seeing the people of God come together. 
The Nehemiah takes place in a time where the, the Jews are first returning and first restoring Jerusalem. And, and what's happening here is coming from they were in exile. They, the city of David, the, uh, Jerusalem had been this amazing city. And then because of the sins of the people, the city had been destroyed. The walls turned to rubble and the people carted off. The people who remain, the people of this chapter for the most part, are people who were either poor or undesirable. They were people that when the, when the people of Israel were carted off, they were passed over. These, these people are not the people that you would expect that you would be, that they're, they're not people that you would look at and say, these are the most exciting people in the world. It's, it's not like the A team. So, but, but what's happening here is we're seeing these people, we're seeing priests built alongside everyone else. We're seeing rulers allowing their daughters to work. We're seeing people sacrifice to see this building done. It's a culture that's being built in Nehemiah 3. The people are forming an identity. And so I want to I want to ask all of you when you think about your role here, do you think your role is insignificant? Because I promise you your role isn't insignificant. Your role here is significant. Could you imagine if I came here on Sunday morning and the seats were all empty and I still came up here and preached? That'd be super weird. So or if the worship team, if they were here but we didn't have a tech team and so there, there was no audio, you couldn't hear the bass at all, it was just, they were just up here kind of jamming and there was no words on the screen. Those roles are important. The roles in the seat are important. The people serving in our children's ministry, the people serving throughout the week. We have a group of senior citizens that come in on Fridays and they clean the church and they do an amazing job. And that role is as significant as what's happening on Sunday morning. For if, if you're here, what, what we're building, it starts wherever we are. It starts here in the building, but it also starts when we go home. Because what we're building, when, when you go home, when you invite that person next to you, you don't, you don't know where they're coming from, but, but when you invite them in, it's a chance for us to be building out into the world. And, and we're not building walls, we're building a culture, and that culture is the kingdom of God. And I just, as we talk about this, I just want you to hear that every role is significant in that. If we're building the kingdom of God, it's the people of Springbrook. It's when we walk out of these doors, we are building the kingdom of God. We're, the influence of Springbrook, the influence of the other churches in the area, we're hoping that people are coming to know Christ. Like that song said, let people, I, I just worded it wrong, but let people see Christ in me or Christ all around me. We, when we go out in the world, that's a chance for us as Springbrook to share Christ with the world. And hopefully we're bringing people in. With VBS, you don't, you might in, not think your neighbor wants to come, but you might invite them. They might come. They might hear the gospel for the first time and they might accept. You might be training up someone who's amazingly influential in the church someday. Or you might be training up someone who works in the nursery or someone who just attends but has a family and their family attends. That the, the goal of all of this is we want to share Christ with the world and we want to be building a culture of people who share Christ. I want to end with a story. Um, I've got this picture. Um, so two weeks ago, um, I got a phone call from a woman who lives in the area. She called our church office. Um, she's a single mom and she was moving and she needed help. Um, and she mentioned she didn't have a lot of money to pay, and but she, she was just kind of desperate, hoping she could get someone to help her move. And um, when, when I heard it, I was really excited. And I, I sent a message. That's Caleb Brandt and Conrad Stewart. They're here. You can give them a high five afterwards. But I texted them. I texted another guy. He couldn't make it. But these two guys told me, hey, we'll do it. And I was like, is it okay if you don't get paid? And they're like, 
all right, that's fine. We don't need to. And, and they gave up on Tuesday. We went and we helped this woman move. And, and I'm, not, I'm not telling you all this for like, oh, look at what we did. It was so good. I'm telling you this because this is something that Springbrook did. And, and this is something that our culture here did. Because for, first off, for these guys to hear about this need and to say, we want to go help, comes because as they've gone to this church, as they've been raised by their parents, as they've been involved in the children's ministry and at Thrive, and as their values have been shaped here at Springbrook, They've become young men that are willing to give up a day to serve. And, and Springbrook, it's, all of us did this because the people, if you're faithfully giving, if you're faithfully attending, the doors stay open. When, when she called the church, we had someone that could answer the phone. Cindy answered the phone and forwarded her to me. That's, that's all needed. Each role is significant. And, and I want to challenge you that, that if you have opportunities like this where you can go serve someone and just show them the love of Christ in a simple way. We, we went and did this not because we wanted her to come to church. We're excited she came. But, but we didn't do this because we were like, we want her at our church. We hope that. But, but we didn't ask her beforehand, well, are you a Christian? Oh, you are? Never mind. Or will you come to our church afterwards? Nope, never mind. No, we did this because it was a chance to serve. And there, there was another, there was a mom and her son also there. The mom brought the trailer, Kathy and Brian, and they came with us and they served as well. They're from another church. And so we had multiple church bodies that were coming together to help serve. And that's good. That chance to show the love of Christ, regardless of what our hoped outcome is, when we can share the love of Christ, it's worth it. And I hope that that's the culture we're building here. I'm going to pray. Uh, Dear Father, we thank you for this day. Um, We thank you for the influence that Springbrook has been in this community, and we pray that we as a people would just spread it out, that we would take the culture that we're developing here in these walls, that as we're discipled, we'd be taking it and discipling others. And we pray, Lord, that, that we would show your son to this community and to this world, and we thank you for just the gift of your son's life that um, we, can, we can have this opportunity. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Matt, that's the best sermon that I've heard for a first sermon. Amen? Wow! He just took a very difficult chapter and made it so easy to understand, and we are just so blessed to have he and Jessica as part of our ministry. So thank you for ministering to us uh, through the Word today. And yeah, he's right. Here at Springbrook, we're building a disciple-making culture, and that takes a while. We need to continue to talk about it, experience it, and there are many exciting developments coming up this summer, and next fall and how we're going to go about making stronger disciples. But you, you, make, start, you make stronger disciples, uh, first of all, by having a strong evangelism focus. And friends, we've got a lot of different activities throughout the summer that we're trying to encourage people to come out to in order that they might get to know us and eventually hear the gospel. Uh, Andy talked about VBS submerged. And this is a church-wide outreach. I think we have uh, 80 kids signed up, 
and we have a prayer goal for 150 kids. So it's so important if you are a regular attender here to register right away and then invite someone else. I was talking to Anita Kudrowski, who has been here for a long, long time teaching the kids, and she invited her neighbors to come to VBS. <laughs> that was so thrilling. She just asked them. That's all you have to do is ask. And I was talking with Michelle Howe, and she's recruiting the baseball team that her son plays on. Just think about it. What child could you invite? Where are the children on your street? And go. Go to the door and say, hey, we're just having this if you're interested. And Friends, that's the only way we're going to make inroads into this culture. The only way we're going to reach people is to invite them out to things that they might think will be beneficial for their children. Another thing I wanted to talk about uh, was this next picture. Uh, we have started a new ministry, Fit for Christ. In fact, we had our inaugural exercise time about a week ago, and, and I was there. Uh, Mark, uh, excuse me, Mike in the black on the left side here, Mike Seymour, and then Carol in the green, uh, they winter down south, and they lead this exercise class down south. And I tell you what, it is an exercise class. I was tired after it was done. It seemed to stretch every muscle in, in your body. 